right, so we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 10. We're working our way through the entire book of the prophet Isaiah. It's going to take us a whole year. And in chapter 10, if you read the opening verse or two, it says, Woe to those who make bad laws. Might be a place to connect right there. Woe to those who make bad laws, who hurt the poor and destroy families. You can read it for yourself. And he says, God will bring judgment upon those people. It's a pretty rough passage. And then he switches gears from speaking to Israel, and the rest of the chapter, he's talking about the nation of Assyria. Now, we'll get to them in a minute. But the whole point of Isaiah chapter 10 is one word. Are you ready? Think. That's what I titled the message. Now, this may be a foreign concept to a lot of us. We used to think. There was a time in school you were taught to think. Am I right? Our children are no longer being taught to think. They're being taught how to think. And there is a big difference. Some of the greatest teachers I had in college, it was not the information they gave me. They taught me how to go get the information. They taught me not how to think, but to think for myself. That's what we've been called to do. And yet we're programmed. We take, we take thinking from people who honestly aren't nearly as smart as we are. But they're on TV, they're on the radio, they got a blog, they're writing something. I mean, I read some of this stuff, I'm like, why am I reading this guy's stuff? I don't care what this guy thinks. Do you ever find yourself in that spot? And yet we allow other people to control our thinking. John Maxwell said years ago, great leadership guy, he said, every person ought to have a thinking chair. He said, you don't do anything in that chair but think. You don't read. You don't talk, you don't listen, you think. You sit in the chair and you, you and God just connect and take time to think. When's the last time you did that? Solitude is something almost unheard of in our noisy culture today. And so we don't think, we let other pe people think for us. You know why? It's easier. But it also leads most Christians down a road to hell. Because we're letting people think for us that do not have our values, do not have our ethics, do not have our idea of biblical thought. And so God is warning the people of Israel that they better stop and think because if they start thinking like the Assyrians, they're all going to be lost. Now remember, the Assyrians are the world power at this time. They have been and they will be for a very long time in history. And they have plenty of gods. And they have gods that they sacrifice their unborn children to. And they have all kinds of sexual perversion going on. We've been through all of that. And they're vicious. Yes. Pastor Shane preached two weeks ago, if you were here at the Ormond campus, he preached about the Assyrians' viciousness where they would go in and kill everybody, male, woman, and child, and they would stack the heads up in front of the gate so you would never, ever think about messing with an Assyrian again. They were brutal, barbaric people. By the way, welcome. Everybody, Palm Bay, DeLand, everybody watching online, glad you're there. Sorry. I just got to preaching. What can I say? I... Uh, I got emotional. Um, but the Assyrians, let me, give you, let me give you some background, all right? Because you know a lot about the Assyrians, you just don't know it. Remember his story about Jonah? Yeah? Jonah went to Nineveh. 
Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrians. Jonah didn't want to go there. Anybody remember why? Oh, they're evil. They're horrible. They're the most vicious people on earth. They hate Israel. They hate, they hate everything that Jonah stands for. And God tells Jonah, go preach to them. So he gets on a boat, goes the other way, thrown overboard into a fish. And we've so messed this story up. Uh, first of all, let me ask this question. If God wanted to keep a guy alive inside a fish for three days, could he do it? Yes, he could. In fact, it's happened in modern times. But to push that narrative is to miss what the text says. In chapter 2 of Jonah, it's pretty clear that Jonah died. And when Jesus talks about Jonah, he says, Just the way Jonah was inside the fish, so shall the Son of Man be. So Jesus is saying, The way Jonah was three days dead, so will the Son of Man be, and then I'll come back from the dead too. Jonah comes back from the dead goes to Nineveh, preaches, what happens? The greatest revival in history. Everybody repents. 120,000 people repent at Jonah's preaching. Nobody's ever had that happen. 120,000 people in one day repent. What a great story. And Jonah will spend the rest of his life there. How do we know that? Because Jonah's grave is in Nineveh. Jonah never left. He spent the rest of his life teaching these people the ways of God. Now let's move forward 800 years. 800 years later, Jesus raises from the dead. The gospel, the, the message about Jesus spreads out across the world. One of the first places it went was the city of Nineveh. You know what happened in Nineveh? Revival like you've never seen. Because the people in Nineveh already knew this story. They'd already heard from their great-great-grandfathers all about a guy that raised from the dead after three days. And so when they brought the story of Jesus, they knew it was true. And for the first 300 years of Christianity, before the Roman Empire, for the first 300 years of Christianity, the Assyrian Empire became the worldwide leader in missionaries. They were sending missionaries and planting churches all over the known world in the first 300 years of the church. I bet you didn't know that. You say, well, what happened to those people? That's a good question. There's 300,000 Assyrians that live in Chicago today. Did you know that? A lot of them are still Christians. A lot of them are still sold out to Christ from what Jesus did, from what Jonah did. Their story goes back that far. But these are the people that he's addressing today. Because at this point in history, they've stopped thinking. And so this message is for them, and I think you'll find it fits very clearly with each one of us, if you'll stand out of respect for God's Word. We're just going to look at verses 15 to 19. I hope you'll read the rest of the chapter for yourself. Does the axe raise itself above him who swings it, or the saw boast against him who uses it? As if a rod were to wield him who lifts it up, or a club brandish him who is not wood. Therefore the Lord, they had a lot of lords in Assyria, the Lord Almighty will send a wasting disease upon your sturdy warriors. Under his pomp a fire will be 
kindled like a blazing flame. The light of Israel will become a fire. Their holy one, a flame. In a single day, it'll burn and consume his thorns and his briars. The splendor of his forest and fertile fields, it will completely destroy as when a sick man wastes away. And the remaining trees of his forest will be so few that a child could write them down. Be seated. Cryptic passage. But the first thing he talks about, again, we're talking about thinking. Actually taking time to think about what I do, what I say. The first thing is you better think before you speak. Anybody need this information? Let me ask you this. Anybody married? You need this information. Anybody used to be married? You need this information. You know, when I look back over the 37 years of our marriage, I have no doubt that the biggest problem our marriage had was my mouth. If my mouth could somehow have been removed from the situation, we would have had an incredibly good marriage. It took a long time. Here's my theory. Now, when I want to make some kind of smart aleck comment, before I can get it out, I've kind of lost half of it, so I just don't say anything. I just, I kind of, I kind of just let the, the moment slide by. But James said it this way, and it's, it's for church settings, it's for marriage settings, it's for parents settling. He said in James 1.19, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, I'll be honest with you. I usually flip all three of them. How about you? Am I the only sinner in the room? Look, I know some of you. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. Quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to get angry. And isn't it amazing that we flip all three of those? And he tells the Assyrians, you guys better stop and think before you start boasting. Because here's what was happening in their case. See, Israel's God's people, right? And they know that. Everybody knows that. The world knows that at this time. But Assyria is conquering the Israelites. So the Assyrian king says, look, we're now God's people. And God said, don't assume just because I'm allowing you to bring judgment on my people that you have become the people. And he uses an analogy that I use all the time with you guys with creation and the idea of creation versus evolution. He said, does the saw say to the lumberjack, you are unimportant to this project? No. The saw doesn't say anything. Does the axe say, I'm more important than the guy swinging the axe? No, because the axe by itself can't do anything. And God says, so for you to put yourself in my position and think that you are more important than I am, and when we speak before we think, normally we put ourselves in the position of God rather than stepping back and listening and thinking how, not only what am I going to say, but how about this? How am I going to say it? Sometimes I say the right thing, but I can say it way too jolly. Let's just say that. Way too forcefully, way too angrily. Don't even mean for it to come out that way. You think about what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. In the book of Job, chapter 40, Job is in a 
a debate with God. Job's upset about how God's treated him. And, and God lets it go on for quite a while. And then God's had enough. And God starts questioning Job. And he asks Job questions like this. Uh, can you explain to me how a calf is born? Can you explain to me where I keep the snow before the, the winter snows? Can you explain? And he goes on and on and on, just rapid-fire questions that obviously Job cannot answer. None of us can answer. And Job says this in chapter 40. He said, I've spoken once, I've spoken twice, but I will speak no more. See, Job was smart enough to know there's a time to keep your mouth shut. And that's what the Assyrians couldn't figure out. That's what the Israelites couldn't figure out. They began to think they were the special ones. They began to think that there was something special about their national identity. What makes us special is our relationship with Jesus Christ. How do you think Israel felt when Nineveh repented? Israel's going to hell, and these total pagan, vicious, horrible people in Nineveh all repent, and they're all going to heaven. See, God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you are. If you accept Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven, and you can go to heaven. That, that cuts across language barriers, racial barriers, uh, cultural barriers. It cuts across all barriers. Jesus saves. And listen to me. Jesus did not come to make you nicer. Jesus didn't come to make you more tolerant. Jesus didn't come to make you more this or more this. Jesus came to save your soul. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So if you, if you, if you have not accepted Jesus, before we finish, right over here, there's a sign, decision. Come on over here. There'll be folks there. Online, I have decided. Palm Bay Deland, see David, see Pastor Ben. They'll be happy to help you. Now listen, let me tell you this story. This is a, I hesitate, but I'll just preface it. All right, Stonewall Jackson, Confederate general, and certainly Stonewall Jackson has issues. All right, we, we know that. But I want to tell you this story. Stonewall Jackson, it's a, different, it's a different era. Stonewall Jackson was a Christian. And he was stuck on this whole issue. And Stonewall Jackson had been a believer his whole life. But he'd never really been a Christian. He didn't quite understand it. He knew he was a believer in Jesus, but he never quite got it. And one day, he was in church, and somebody explained it to him... He accepted Jesus, and he said, from that moment, everything changed. Now, here's what's interesting. As I'm listening to this podcast, you can tell it's a modern podcast, because the lady said, she said, you're not going to believe this, but Stonewall Jackson actually believed in the Ten Commandments. And I'm, I'm listening to that, and I'm thinking, even in my secular culture, I mean... Are you against thou shalt not murder? Are you against thou shalt not lie? I mean, why would anybody be against the Ten Commandments even if you're not a Christian? But she wanted, they had to make it clear how antiquated this concept was. But here's what changed Stonewall Jackson. Stonewall Jackson found out that when he became a Christian, God had the date of his death on his calendar. And he said, now that 
I know that death is out of my hands, that I'm going to die when God says I'm going to die. He said, for the first time in my life, I'm free to live. And maybe you're here and you're dealing, as our seminar talked about this, this weekend, uh, with anxiety, depression, anger, loneliness. Listen, when you have Jesus and you know he's got that final date taken care of, well, you're free to live, my friends. The rest of the world runs around in fear. You and I don't have to live in fear because that date is already on the calendar. And Jackson was so, so dedicated. Listen to this story. He said, well, it says that we are to keep the Sabbath. There is to be a day of worship. The problem was when you're fighting a war, sometimes Sundays don't work. Sometimes there's a war that happens, a battle that happens on Sunday. So if you were in Jackson's army, he was in charge of the calendar. And he would pass word down to his troops, hey, it looks like Saturday and Sunday we're going to be in the battle, so Thursday is now Sunday. And he would just change the day. And he would say, Thursday, everyone will worship and everyone will be reading their Bibles. That's how committed this man was to the process. All right, think. Think before I speak. And then think about sin. Now, if we were in the 1950s or 60s, this is what was preached every weekend. You came to church and the preacher got up and he was holier than thou and he explained to you how good he was and how horrible all of you were and everybody was going to hell. Maybe two or three of you would accidentally slip in and get to heaven. Totally missing the grace of Jesus and, and, and all the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But sin was talked about. Today, nobody wants to talk about sin. Because everybody's defining it themselves. Well, what could possibly be a sin? Because this is right for me. No, the Bible is the authority. The Bible is the one that defines sin. And here's the problem. Sin separates us from God. Whether you believe it or not, whether you believe in sin or not, whether you believe what you're doing is sin or not, when you're involved in something that is outside the plan of God and the will of God, it separates you from God. And every one of us knows what that feels like. Am I telling the truth? Even if you were not a Christian, you were doing things and you're like, this doesn't feel good. This just doesn't seem right. I shouldn't be doing this. And then you'd go back the next night and do it again. Am I right? Sin separates us. But I'll tell you what, sin does something else. I've learned this through a lot of counseling experience. Sin separates you. Sin literally rips you in half. That's the whole purpose. That's what alcohol, drugs, sexual perversion, pornography, uh, greed. It, it will take the person you are and it will rip you to pieces. Whether it's this way or cut you in half this way. And you'll wake up one day, as, the, as they say, uh, there's a medieval guy that wrote a book called The Dark Night of the Soul. And you'll just feel like there's this darkness hanging over you. Anybody? Because your soul's been ripped in half. That's why David wrote in Psalm 23, he said, The Lord will restore your soul. Well, what's he restoring? Well, something that's been torn apart, right? 
Something that's been ripped in pieces needs to be put back together. Isaiah 61 talks about when the Messiah comes, He will bind up the brokenhearted. That means the heart is broken. It's split. It needs to be sutured back together again. But you'll never accept Jesus until you understand what sin is. And sin is missing the mark. People say, well, I'm good. You, you're good, okay. Against whom? See, there's the problem. When you and I start measuring ourselves... Now, could I find 3 million people on this earth or 3 billion people that you're better than? Probably could. But that's not who you'll stand before on Judgment Day. You will stand before an all-holy, all-perfect God. That's why you need some time to stop and think about your life. Think about what you're saying, what you're doing, where you're going. The things that are ripping your soul apart. Because those are the things that you need to turn away from. And those are the things that you need to leave behind so that you can move forward. Because God wants desperately to put your soul back together again. But He can't put your soul back together again if you've got a knife in your hand cut yourself in half all the time. Does that make any sense? Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. Everybody used to know that verse. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And 6.23 says, the wages of sin. What you get paid, the wages of sin is, is death. But the free gift of God, free gift, is eternal life in Jesus Christ. All you've got to do is accept the gift. But then Isaiah brings it home this way. He said, you need to think about the Holy One of God. Now see, Assyria has no shortage of gods. We've been through that before. They have a plethora of gods just like most people have a plethora of gods. But you get yourself in trouble when you're not under the authority of the Almighty God. If you didn't see the quote, allow me to share it with you. From the House of Representatives this last week, Jerry Nadler, and I quote... He said, the will of God is no concern to this Congress. Number one, I fear for my country. Number two, Jerry Nadler ought to be terrified. It's amazing to me that people will toy with the name of God, the holiness of God, the word of God, even if you don't believe in it. To put voice to that, it is no concern. That's not how this country started, just for the record, okay? You, can, you feel free to look that up. In fact, I don't know if you, I'll just tell you this. But before they signed the Declaration of Independence, which, by the way, was no small feat because every one of those guys risked their lives, their families, their fortunes, and most of them lost all of it for the cause of freedom. They could not agree on anything. They're in an open fight. And Benjamin Franklin, who was probably the least Christian of the group, said, guys, we need a three-day recess. Everybody go home and for the next three days pray and fast. And then you come back and we're going to make a decision one way or the other. They came back in total unity. And every one of them signed that document. Every state, every senator, everyone signed. After they'd spent time with God. And we've come from that point to now saying the will of God is no concern. Here's what's frightening. We have churches saying. We have pastors saying. Some of them are my friends. 
We have pastors saying the will of God is no concern of mine. This is what we need to do. That is a terrifying place to be. Because he said, you better think about the Lord. But then he specifies it. The Lord Almighty. Not some God you created, but the Lord Almighty. And he says, he is the Holy One who comes with what? You guys bring your Bibles. He is the Holy One who comes with fire. He is fire. When God met Moses on the mountain, how did Moses run into him? He was, it was a burning bush. He was fire. God talked to him out of the fire. When God's leading the Israelites through the wilderness, it was fire. It was a pillar of fire. Jesus, John chapter 10, I am the light of the world. Peter tells us at the end times, when God comes to judge the earth, there won't be another flood. This time the earth will be dissolved by fire. See, we have these pictures and an image of God that he's this doddling old grandfather with a big beard. First of all, God's a spirit. God is not flesh and blood like us. Jesus was when he was representing God. But the one description we have of God is that he is a flaming fire. And in Hebrews 10, it says it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry, all-consuming God. That's why we so desperately need Jesus. And we need to think about where we are in this process. Well, let me finish with this. Michael, Michael McDowell won the Daytona 500 this year. Here's a picture of him. Very happy man. Um, I believe he started 358, 68 races before he ever won. Now, I don't know if you care about racing. I don't know if you watch this race or not. But what happens at Daytona is usually the same. McDowell is running third on the last lap. The first two cars run into each other coming off a four. They crash into the wall. McDowell goes by. They throw the caution. They throw the checkered flag. He's got about a half mile to get back to the line. He's never going to, he won't make it to the line first. So how did he win? The checkered flag came out. And when the checkered flag comes out, you win. How many laps did Michael McDowell lead? Zero. Zero. How, how long did he lead? I'll tell you, about 50 feet. Of a 500-mile race, Michael McDowell led for 50 feet. But he went home with the check. He went home with the trophy. He's the one they interviewed. And some of you are here thinking... I'm too far gone. The race is too far over for me to change and ever win this race. Guys, you only have to win for a moment. You only have to be in front for that split second. And that's what Jesus paid the price for you on the cross. And when you accept him, and it can be done today, before you leave this building, all you got to do is be leading in that one split second when the checkered flag drops and heaven is open for you. Isn't that good news? Isn't that the message of the gospel. All right, I'm done. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gift of thought. Help us to take time to get alone and think about your holiness, to think about our sin and how it measures up to that holiness. Help us to guard our tongues. 
Help us to keep ourselves focused on you. For those today who came in with all kinds of burdens, anxieties, struggles, I pray that they would lay them down. And like General Jackson, they would come to the conclusion, if that day is on God's calendar, then I might as well live my life to the fullest, knowing that God's got every moment in his hands. In Jesus' name, amen.